Good morning. How you guys doing? Must have been really good coffee because you're kind of rambunctious right now. You have to give me some of that. Father, we're grateful for the gift that this day is. It's the day that you have created. And you've entrusted it to us. I pray that each of us would steward this day well. That you have already given to us our daily bread, what we need for this day. No matter what comes, no matter if it's green pastures and still waters that you lead us to, or if it's the valley of the shadow of death, you're still with us and our cups can run over. I pray that we would be a people, even as Ephesians 5 says, that those that are filled by the Spirit will be speaking a certain way, singing a certain way, speaking the Psalms, and also being thankful that one of the most spirit-filled things we can do is give you thanks that every perfect and every good gift, they come from you. That this building that we're in, it's a gift from you. That the food that we've eaten, it's a gift from you. That the coffee that we drink, it's a gift from you. That the people that we're surrounded by, they're gifts from you. That this community, it's a gift from you. That the rain that comes down, it's a gift from you. That the sun that comes up, it's a gift from you. I pray that we be a people who demonstrate we've been filled by the Spirit through lives that, yes, speak a certain way, that, yes, praise in a certain way, but also that demonstrate that filling by gratitude. So today, Remind us of all that we have to be thankful for. And may we express that back to you. I ask as we study and as we think that our hearts would be tilled up. We can plant and we can water, but only you can give an increase. So may our hearts be prepared and ready and may you give an increase to us today, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. 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 So has anyone here heard of a marathon? Yeah. Right? I am an expert on marathons because my wife runs them. So I know all about them. Do you know where the marathon come, came from? 490 BC, Persians and Athenians are fighting it out in this town called Marathon. And about halfway through the battle, the Persians realized they're going to lose, so they made a move. They split their army in half, and they sent half of their army on a beeline to Athens, because Athens was unguarded and open at that time. And if the Persians had been able to get there with the gates open, then the whole battle changes. So they grabbed this guy named Pheidippides, and they said, here's what you got to do. 
You need to take off running right now from Marathon and you need to beat the Persian army and you need to warn the city of Athens that we're winning the battle and close the gates. And so he took off, ran 26.2 miles from Marathon to Athens, came in the gates, declared, hey, the battle, we're winning it, but the armies come and close the gates and then died. And Marathons commemorate that. <laughs> Let's imagine for a second, something happens. Something catastrophic happens today. An EMP bomb goes off above us and takes out everything electrical, your car, everything, everything that has electronics and just takes it out. And you need to run from Grant's Pass to Medford, 26.2 miles to save your family. Who here could run 26.2 miles? A handful of you guys. I think I could run 5, 10, 20 feet. That's about it. So I'm out. Let's imagine, though, you had six months advance notice. This is coming. And you need to get ready to run this. It's going to save your family. Who with six months of training could run 26.2 miles? Right? Who here would just buy a bicycle? Okay, you're the smart people. Here's what I know. I've been to a lot of marathons. I have seen people that look like NFL linemen run marathons. I saw an 85-year-old man complete a marathon. Anyone can do it. The only question is, did you train for it? And like training, it's like three months. Like it starts slow, right? Run a half mile today. Tomorrow, run three quarters of a mile. It starts you up. It has this pace to it. But anyone that just gave the time could get trained to complete a marathon. So we're in a series right now. It has a really high goal, very high goal, higher than 26.2 miles. We're calling it formed because Galatians 6, Galatians 4, verse 19, Paul says, I am in childbirth. Literally, I am in anguish of childbirth to see Christ formed in you. That the goal of this life, it's really one thing. Romans 8, 29, that we might be conformed to the image of Christ. So we're calling it formed. And it's not to focus on some kind of a discipline, whatever, whatever it is. That is never the goal. Those are tools, but the goal is always to see Christ formed in us. And if you miss that, what happens is we start to latch onto the tools and we become these graceless, judgmental jerks who then use the tools that we have to beat everyone else. That's not at all the goal. Each one of these is like, okay, would this be a tool that serves me? And you got to figure that out. We talked about that last week. And the goal is so that we look back in 2024 on 2023 with joy, with delight at what God has done, not with grief and regret and remorse. That's the whole goal. So the goal is to see Christ's formness so we live a different kind of life, live a different kind of way. So today, first discipline there's a group of them that are called slowing, and they are Sabbathing, solitude, silence, and sleeping. Do you know that a spiritual discipline is sleeping? Do you know that? It is, right? Adam went to sleep and he woke up with a wife. How cool is that, right? He's like, dang, this is great, man. I'm gonna do this more often, right? So absolutely. So these are these kind of disciplines we're gonna start out with the Sabbath. 
You know why? It doesn't sound so exciting. Like, why are you doing this? You know why? I think we need it more than ever because we are stressed and we are pressured and we are rushed and we are hurried and we just never, we redline all the time now. It's like a, almost a badge of honor for some of us to redline all the time, but it's destructive to us as people. So I Googled a couple, a short while ago, just stress on Google, a billion hits came up. And then you know how you can Google just news? I Googled stress on news and millions of hits came up on just stress, like how to relieve stress. One of them was from the Huffington Post. Yeah, someone giggles. So it said this, seven secrets to living a stress-free life. Secret number one, here it is. Secret number one, when you wake up, go into your bathroom, open the window, take your blow dryer, point it out the window and say, I spread joy and peace to all beings on earth. I did that this morning. I felt a lot better when I threw the thing out the window. That feels better. That's less stress. I think the Bible can do a little bit better than the Huffington Post. I think there are rhythms inside scripture that lead you and me to incredible ways of living a life that's better, that starts to reduce those things that pressure and push and exhaust and stress us, all right? And sometimes I've read a ton and listened to a ton of messages on Sabbath is, and what always bothers me is this, they never seem to talk about the Bible. So I got just one simple goal in life, I wanna teach the Bible. So if I'm gonna talk about Sabbathing, then guess what I'm gonna talk about? The Bible. So we're gonna look at a couple passages where I think you get some real insight into what the Sabbath means. And whenever we talk about origins and human design, guess where you always turn in the Bible? Genesis, the book of beginnings. So it's the first place that we see God talking about Sabbath and it's instructive, I think, for us to kind of learn this is what God's talking about. So turn with me if you would. We'll have it up here as well. Genesis chapter two, verse one, the first time Sabbath is talked about. Verse one. Thus the heavens and earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested. Was God tired? No. No, yeah. <laughs> You're absolutely right. You are a future theologian. One day you'll probably be up here. No, right? If you add up all the words that God spoke in the six days of creation, it's like 45 seconds. God wasn't tired. He's demonstrating something else. God rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So verse three, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So here's the rhythm. God works six days. On the seventh day, God says, I'm going to rest. And then he makes a declaration about that seventh day. He says, I'm going to bless the day and that day is going to be holy. 
It is blessed and it's holy or sanctified. It's set apart. It's a different kind of day. Most of us, when we think about the Sabbath, it's not a blessing. It's not a holy day. It's a bummer that we have to submit to, isn't it? Like, it's kind of like, oh man, I have to sit around all day and do nothing. No games, just sit here and think holy thoughts. This is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it, dagnabbit. There's a reason why we have that response to it because of American culture. So many, many years ago, I was reading to my daughters the Little House on the Prairie books, right? It was like the only TV show I was allowed to watch as a child. And now I'm reading the books to my kids. And I thought, when I was reading them, I thought, I've just become my mother. Is there a moment in all like, you're, you're, like, you're like, oh no, I'm, I'm, I'm even worse. At least we can watch it on TV. I'm reading it to them, right? So I'm reading along and it came to this chapter. It was just titled Sunday. And they started to talk about what Sunday was back then. And they hated it. You had to sit inside all day. And Albert was looking outside. It was snowing like for the first time. And the hill that he loved, he like sled down. He was just like, oh, to go outside and sled. I can't though. I have to sit in here and think holy thoughts. So the Sabbath has that kind of connotation to it. And there's a reason why. The Puritans, when they came over, they realized how important a Sabbath is. And so they started to make these laws, like they knew this, if we don't make some guidelines or some rules about Sabbathing, no one will do it. So they made these laws. They were called, to this day, you can Google them, they're called the blue laws. And they were like, tell you and me what you and I could not do on the Sabbath. Some of these blue laws are still on the books today. I'll read some for you. So in Georgia, New York, you cannot carry an ice cream cone in your back pocket on Sunday. That is a first world problem, isn't it? It gets worse in Oregon. In Oregon, you cannot eat ice cream on Sunday. Come arrest me, I dare you. You will pry that vanilla from my dead hands, right? (laughs) In Ohio, now think in your mind, Ohio. You know where it's at in our country? Listen to this law. In Ohio, it's illegal to fish for whales on Sunday. <laughs> Everybody keeps that law. <laughs> That's awesome. In Michigan, it is illegal for a man to scowl at his wife on Sunday. Come on, you got six other days to do that, men. Give her a break one day. <laughs> now we read these laws and you start to kind of like be judgmental about the Puritans. And I'm not at all. The Puritans were amazing. If you want to read condensed, incredible writing, read what the Puritans wrote. Like most of us today, we can't stomach it. It's too condensed, like, ah, it's over. They're amazing. And they realize something. If we don't, they won't. But whenever you do that to something, you take your good ambitions and your good ideas and you turn it into a monstrosity. And that's what happens. All of a sudden, you've got rules and rules and rules and rules and rules. And what was to be blessed and sanctified becomes a bummer that you have to submit to. That's not what God's saying, though, here. It's not, it's not, here's what the blessing means, because we already have a category. If you've read chapter one, God has already blessed a couple things. And listen to what he blesses in chapter one. And he's doing this for the Sabbath. So in verse 22 of chapter one, he says this. 
And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. The blessing was, be fruitful, multiply. And then verse 28, to the humans, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So we have a category of what blessing means. So God now says to the seventh day, I got a blessing on that day so that it's fruitful. So your time multiplies. So you have dominion over time. You ever feel like time has dominion over you? You just don't have enough time? You're always saying, well, I have to. I don't have any choice here, right? Because time, it just, it seems to be ruling you. It masters you. God says, there's something that I can do on the Sabbath day that will change it and transform it in your life, okay? So it's what's supposed to happen to us. Do you want multiplication of time? Okay, listen carefully. So I'm gonna give us two texts. We've read one and two ideas. The first one is this. I think this is what God is saying in Genesis chapter two, big idea. Number one is this, live in sync. When you have a Sabbath, you are living in sync with my creation. So let's start backing up and thinking about time for a second. Why do we have 24 hours in a day? Not a, it's not at all a trick question. It's not like theology. The earth makes one revolution in 24 hours. Why do we have 30 days in a month? The moon goes through all of its phases in 30 days, right? Why do we have 365 days in a year? It's the time it takes for the earth to go all the way around the sun. So each one of those things are based on a natural, viewable phenomenon, right? That the people saw, 24 hours, 30 days, you know, 365. Why do we have seven days in a week? There is no known natural phenomenon that would lead you and me to design a seven-day week. Science is puzzled about this. You know why? Because they have found in humans a circa septum rhythm, a rhythm of seven. So if you could carefully monitor your heart rate, you would find your heart rate is, let's say, 70 beats per minute for six days, and then on the seventh day, it'll drop down to like 65. If you could measure your blood pressure, your blood pressure would be whatever it is, you know, 100 over 80, whatever's a good blood, blood pressure. And then on the seventh day, it would drop down a bit. Your brain hormones will be at a certain level for six days, and then they'll drop down. Parents, when your kids are teething, teeth development in infants, they grow for six days, and the seventh day they stop. And every parent rejoices and sleeps that night, right? <laughs> Like it's, it's profound, but there is no natural kind of moon or revolution that it corresponds to. So there's this guy, his name is Dr. Franz Halberg. He's the guy that actually came up with the term, uh, uh, I don't remember the term he came up with, but it's a really good term. 
Yeah, it'll come to me like when I'm 10 more minutes into this message and then I'll want to say it and I'll have to fight the like, no, nah, I can't say it now. It makes no sense. Uh, he studied time and his whole thing was just time, time, time. He was uh, no, almost a Nobel Prize winner for it. And he's the guy that came up with circus septum, like a, a rhythm of seven in everything. And he found it not just in humans, he found it in nature, algae blooms. He studied algae blooms. An algae bloom would grow for six days and then guess what algae does? Takes a day off, just stops growing. And then at day number eight, man, it starts growing again. It's through it all. So when Simon was trying to figure this out, they thought, well, maybe we have a seven day week because of culture. But algae doesn't have any culture, does it? Right? Infants don't have any culture. Why would, you know, teeth grow that? Like what in the world is happening with this? There's only one reason, it was created. And so if you know your history, there were two countries that actually, it's called the seven day wars. They tried to change their calendar. They said, we're gonna do away with the seven day. It's really a war on God. It happened in France after the enlightenment where they're like, no more God. So they changed to a 10 day week with 10 hours a day, 100 minutes in an hour and 100 seconds in a uh, minute. Like just, we're all, you know, going metric, if you would. It only lasted for 12 years because it so threw the whole country into chaos, everybody was out of rhythm. And then it was tried again by the Soviet Union. Stalin in 1929 declared a five-day week. He quit it in World War II. And I'll quote why he said he quit trying the five-day week. And I quote, 11 years of disappointing productivity and epidemic irresponsibility in the workplace. That's why, right? That there's something built into the very fabric of our DNA, even into creation, that echoes to this rhythm of six on and one off. And God says, I'll bless you. I'll bless you. I'll bless you. Your time will be multiplied. They find people that celebrate a Sabbath are happier, they're healthier, they are more productive in the other six days, less stressful. Every metric they do better. So Charity and I, we, we got to spend just under a month in Israel. So we actually were there for like, I think four Sabbath days, just the way it worked out. And the entire country just shuts down. You do nothing. Like, from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, you can't use an elevator, there's no taxis, there's no cars on the road, it's crazy. Fun too, really cool. Like all these families would be at these parks with playing soccer, it was a really cool thing. What they found is this, Israel has all the first world problems of us. Depression, suicide, drugs, alcohol, smoking, you name it, stressed out, all that stuff. But. Israel has the longest lifespan of any nation. I think it's right about 84 years now. We're at 76. The one difference in them, they Sabbath. They take a day off. Like that's how powerful it is. In fact, they have a kosher phone. They have an iPhone, it's called a kosher iPhone. At sundown, and it knows, right? iPhone's gonna figure out sundown. At sundown, it just shuts off and doesn't turn back on until Saturday at sundown. Like you'll be like, Siri, and Siri will answer this way, are you dying? 
No, I'll talk to you tomorrow then, right? Like, that's it. And they're healthy because they're living in sync. So when God says this in Genesis, he's saying, I've actually created this rhythm into how I've made the earth to work. And when you Sabbath, you're in sync. But number two, you live as free. The next time God really describes Sabbath, there's some other little, little short ones, but when he really talks about, here's the reason why there's a Sabbath, it's in Deuteronomy chapter five, verse 12. He says this. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. For you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. I love that, right? You're in sync with creation, but God adds something right here. There's another reason. I want you to notice two things on this text. There's a ton in it. First, the measure of what God is saying and the memorial for what God is saying. Verse 14, the measure. The seventh day is a Sabbath. You shall not do any work. Your son or your daughter shall not do any work. Your male servant shall not. Your female servant shall not. Your ox shall not. Your donkey shall not. None of your livestock shall not. And the sojourner, you can't have an immigrant come and do it for you. That's a massive measure. It's not just the bosses that get the day off. It's everyone. Rich, poor, male, female. Human being, animal. I want everything to take a day off. In fact, God will say in the book of Deuteronomy, I want the land to take a day off too. Actually, a year off. One in seven, I want the land also to rest as well. How amazing is that? Do you enjoy your weekend? Before this, before the Bible, listen, you worked seven days. That was it. You just worked and worked and worked and worked, and then you died. That's the way a lot of cultures did things. And God says, no, this is going to be different. We have labor laws because of this right here. This is the reason why we have these kind of, hey, no, that's unfair. It goes back to scripture. So massive measure. Everything deserves to be restful. God is saying, I did not create a factory to punch stuff out. I created a garden to be enjoyed. And then notice what it commemorates, or the memorial. Remember that you were slaves. What's the definition of a slave? Someone that cannot rest from their work. 
Someone that has a Pharaoh that's demanding that they keep working and produce and more and more and more. A slave is a being that can never rest from its work. It's just a cog and a machine that's there to punch stuff out. And God is saying, listen, you guys are not slaves. You are my sons. You are my daughters. We Sabbath, when, when we Sabbath, here's what we're saying. We're saying no to slavery. Whatever it is, that thing does not own me. And we can make all kinds of things our masters, right? Your kids can become your masters. We're just, you gotta go all the time. Every soccer, all this practice, it's just, it masters you. School can master you. It's just, okay, I gotta learn more. I gotta stuff more in my brain. We make things masters really quick. We can invent pharaohs all the time. And what God is saying is, listen, you Sabbath because you're saying, no, that stuff does not dominate you. And work is good. I'm not anti-work. So Abraham Joshua Herschel wrote the definitive book on Sabbathing. And this was a, uh, there's a couple, I'll give two of them. That This is one of them that really, really impressed me. He said, there is happiness in the love of labor. I love to work. It's a joy, it's accomplishment. So he's like, yeah, there's happiness in the love of labor. There is misery in the love of gain. For me, that just sunk in. Why do I love to work? Do I love to work because I'm getting more stuff, because I'm accomplishing more, because I'm punching out a checklist? Or do I just love work because it's a gift from God? Like Abraham worked, or Adam worked before the fall. And, And what you do when you take a Sabbath is this, you're saying no to gain. I don't need more. I don't need more information. I don't need more money. I don't need more accomplishment. I don't need more letters behind my name. I don't need more. It's saying no to that gain that will drive you into the dirt. No to the pharaohs that so quickly rise up and want to dominate us and put us under their bonds. It's you're saying yes to, I'm an image bearer, period. Not because of something I do, not because of my accomplishments. I am an image bearer because God said I'm an image bearer. I don't need a bigger portfolio today to be an image bearer. I don't need more stuff to be an image bearer. I am an image bearer. That's what you're saying. I'm not gonna overpost to try to prove that I'm an image bearer. You're saying no to all those things. It's one day that you realize, you realize I am a son, a daughter of God Almighty period. It's brilliant. It's what God is saying right here. You do a Sabbath because you remember something that what you really want can never be found in creation. It can never be found in work. It can never be found in accomplishment. It can only be found in me. It's one day you do that. It's an amazing thing. So I've said I'm going to be real practical. Let me give you some practical stuff. So I think that we get stuck in some things and some churches have got stuck in some things about the Sabbath. And I wanna look at Jesus and what he says about it. So if you want to read, read Mark chapter two, or first, uh, specifically verse 27, where Jesus says this, they're on him about Sabbath stuff. They're breaking their blue laws, right? Jesus is breaking their blue laws. So Jesus says this, he says, listen, man was not made for the Sabbath, meaning, I wasn't created so that I could keep Sabbath. The Sabbath is a gift to man, right? There's a way to look at the Sabbath where it becomes a new Pharaoh, 
where I have to do this stuff and I'm not allowed to, and it takes all this kind of work to do a Sabbath. What? I don't think that's what it's about. It's supposed to be a gift for you or me. And then we get hung up on like, well, do I have to keep it or do I not have to keep it? Do I, right? What day is it? Listen to these texts. This is Romans 14. If you have questions about how to practice faith, Romans 14 is the, out, the Everest to me of the Bible. And so on Sabbath days, listen to what Paul says. One person esteems one day as better than another. Do you know any Christians like that? This is the day, right? Well, another esteems all these alike. Hey, they're all great. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. It's giving you and me freedom as image bearers, as those that can walk and talk with our master, with our creator. It's given us the freedom to, hey, what should I do? When should I do it, right? The one who observes the day, observes it to honor the Lord. Yeah, that's great. And then Colossians chapter two. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. You ever feel judged by people that are Sabbath keepers? I have had long conversations with them where they've told me that I'm no doubt a heretic. So therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Listen, the Sabbath isn't something you have to submit to and be miserable in. The Sabbath is a gift. And like any gift, you can refuse it. But with the refusal of that gift comes all of its blessings and its multiplication with it. Your choice. Doesn't matter what day you choose, you can choose whatever day you want, right? Don't, it doesn't matter. You don't have to do it. You weren't created for the Sabbath day, you don't have to keep it, but rather the Sabbath day is a gift to you and me. That's what it's saying. So part of like keeping a Sabbath is learning like, okay, it's free. I'm allowed to choose here. Well, Matt, what do I do on a Sabbath? Here was the money quote for me on Sabbath days by Abraham Herschel. He says this, a man who works with his hands, framer, drywaller, concrete, a man who works with his hands will Sabbath with his mind. A man who works with his mind will Sabbath with his hands. I resisted Sabbaths because I'm like, listen, I'm studying the Bible all the time. I sit around all the time. I don't want to spend one more day sitting around all the time, right? That just didn't make any sense to me. And when I read that, I said, that's it. That's it. It set me free. Of course not. Of course, God doesn't want me doing the same thing on the seventh day. It's supposed to be unique. It's supposed to be sanctified. It's supposed to be set apart. This freed me to be like, okay, how do I want to practice a Sabbath day? And that can happen with your spouse or your friends. How do we want to, set, how do, we want to do this? Like, I sit around, I talk a bunch. I want to do something else that day, right? So I think it's a day that it's different. I think in our culture today, it should be a day where you just say no to technology, kosher phone. Like, no. Ron, I think the Pharaoh right now of our culture is the way that phones are designed. They are designed to entice you and keep them 
keep you on them. You know that? That's how they make money. That's how they harvest information. So I think for one day, maybe just unplug. Like, ah, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not gonna be strapped to this machine any longer. It's where you go for a walk, not to get somewhere or even to exercise. You just go for a walk because you wanna enjoy creation. You have people over for community, not to network, right? And it's people that can come over to your house and realize it will not be a Norman Rockwell painting. This is not a museum where everything's perfect. This is a house where children live in it. So expect it to be that way. And then you reciprocate. It's not always at one person's house where they start hating you because you come over there all the time and eat all their food and leave a mess. It's, ah, you invite them over to your house, right? You start getting these rhythms with community. That's what you start doing. Like, we're gonna set a day apart and be different. You read your Bible. It's not, I need to get through five chapters today or get through an entire book today. It might be five words because it's not about doing that day. It's about being. I'm not doing something today. I'm a human being for this day. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to take it easy and read five verses. Okay, it's good. It's a challenge. My challenge is this. For one month, four days, try it. Take a day, pray, think through, how do I make this day unique? How do I make it sanctified? How do I make it sanctified? I just mean set apart. How do I set apart one day from the other six days where it has a unique rhythm to it? How do I do that? And it's probably deeply personal to you, right? for me. So my day is Monday and I keep tweaking this. And in 2023, this is my newest tweak, zero technology. I'm on a computer all the time. I have a Google voice number. I have email. And on Mondays, I would wake up and I would just kind of answer emails and get back to people maybe that were uh, either happy about what I said on Sunday or not happy about what I said on Sunday, right? So I would just do that. It it wasn't a big problem, but I could find myself easily on my computer for two more hours. I just decided, you know what? 2023, no computer, no answering emails, no answering the Google voice number. I'm not gonna be on my iPod. I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna do other things. I'm gonna set that day apart by that. And you know what's amazing? Tuesday morning, the sun comes up. Wow. Tuesday morning, Edgewater's still here. Wow. Guess what? I'm not that important. And that's really nice, right? I'm not the pilot of the planet, praise God. I can just unplug and things still happen. And it's awesome and it's good, and I realize, wow, God's got control of this thing. I don't have to be in control of it all the time. Man, that is, oh. So Matt, what do you do? Whatever makes my heart happy. Sometimes it's a chainsaw. That just makes my heart happy. I cut firewood, and that's it. Just, hey, I'm gonna cut some firewood. Sometimes it's uh, dig a hole and fill the hole in, because that's just what I wanna do right? Not trying to accomplish anything that day. I just filled the hole in because it felt like something I wanted to do that day. Sometimes I shot, I sighted my shotgun because that's what I want to do. Yeah, I know you don't sight, someone got it. Good. You don't sight in a shotgun. All right. But it doesn't matter because that's what I want to do. All right. That's what I'm saying. Like you don't have to accomplish anything that day. It's just a day to be, not to do. Sometimes I go to Brookings with my wife and we go to the beach and just hang out and it's awesome. Right? Sometimes I take a nap. Just the Lord gives his beloved sleep and I'm gonna be his beloved. And I'm gonna go to sleep, right? No problem. 
that you do things that you want to do that day. You set it apart somehow and you say, today I'm gonna do things that are not about accomplishing something or a bucket list. It's a day just to be set apart, different than the other six days. How you do that? Man, you're given lots of leeway in this New Testament because it's all a shadow ultimately. It's all a shadow. It's a day where you realize I am accepted in the beloved, not because of what I do. I am accepted in the beloved because of whose I am. I belong to Christ and he is pleased with me. Man, it's a day for that. I challenge you to try it, get in rhythm. And ultimately, all of it is for one purpose, to form Christ in us, to remind us of whose we are. That's what a Sabbath is to do. And so we end every service, not in how to be disciplined or not in, we end every service in communion at the table because it is the reminder if you start Sabbathing and you start doing that, don't judge people that aren't. It reminds me that it's just a tool of the many tools that God has given to us to create in us this eternal, incredible peace, a gift from God.